0: Welcome to Healthcare Beat, a healthcare podcast brought to you by Seifarth Shaw's cross disciplinary healthcare team. Each beat will focus on key industry trends and the latest developments while identifying practical takeaways for those in this space. I'm Adam Lawton, partner in Seifarth's corporate department and host of Healthcare Beat. Let's jump in. Today we have a special guest, actually, our first two time guest. Leon Rodriguez, a partner in our DC office, and we'll be talking about patient rights and civil rights in healthcare in the Biden administration. So, Leon, this might be a topic that just at first glance seems unfamiliar to people. So, are we seeing some sort of emerging philosophy from the Biden administration when it comes to patient rights and civil rights?
1: I think we definitely are. I think in some respects it is. Uh, these are points of view and interests that have been around for for a long time and in some other respects, they, they reflect some, some new interests and some new trends in our society at large. And I think, as you know, served as uh, director of the office for civil rights at the Department of health and human services in, in the late Obama administration and certainly back then health equity defined many different ways was an area of priority and in fact one of the centerpieces of our efforts was the drafting of section 1557 of the affordable care act which for the first time addressed discrimination based on sex in federally funded health care programs but we've seen a few things happen in the last year with the black lives matter movement with what to many appear to be the disproportionate disease burden and death burden due to COVID in minority communities. And I think that also fueled the Biden administration to really declare health disparities and health equity as a priority area as they build their their agenda.
0: And when we talk about these civil rights, I mean, Maybe it would be helpful for the audience to sort of the you know what's the background, what are the the relevant statutes and regulations that we're talking about that sort of bring this up as being a requirement that healthcare providers need to worry about.
1: So there has been a healthcare civil rights framework that's been in effect since the mid 60s. The centerpiece legal authority for that is Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which basically states that any entity, whether a health care provider or not, that receives federal funds may not discriminate based on race or national origin. And so that's something that various offices for civil rights throughout the federal government have enforced uh, since the mid-60s. Naturally, uh, HHS has uh, particularly focused its enforcement efforts on the healthcare environment, particularly hospitals and other medical institutions, but also state departments of social services. That grew over the years. So discrimination based on disability became another area of focus for the Office for Civil Rights in the early 90s with the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act and also the Rehabilitation Act. And then, as I mentioned before, more recently, Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act was added, which really did two things. One, as I mentioned before, it incorporated discrimination based on sex, but also it applied those civil rights requirements not just to federally funded activities, but also federally conducted activities, which means that the Department of Health and Human Services itself is now subject to these civil rights requirements what makes these statutes really powerful and what really gives HHS a really powerful lever here is that the only sanction for a violation is the complete removal of federal funds. So if we take the example of a hospital it receives Medicare, it is determined to have violated civil rights. Unless it can resolve that violation successfully with HHS, the sanction needs to be the removal of federal funds, which for most hospitals amounts to a corporate death penalty, which is why that almost never happens. But it does create some real leverage that pushes sort of remedial efforts to protect against discrimination.
0: That was a great background and a great explanation of sort of the the lay of the land. So what are the types of cases that we're seeing Right now, early days and months of the Biden administration and sort of the lingering effects of COVID-19, are there special types of cases or examples you can give of how these things apply to healthcare providers?
1: So in in the COVID context, there have been sort of new types of cases that have emerged. One area of uh, particular interest, and this actually goes back to the Trump administration that has continued, with the Biden administration is focusing on facility visitation. And so hospitals and other kinds of healthcare facilities, uh, for, for very understandable reasons, restricted visitation or, or denied visitation altogether. Based on, on the threat of COVID, the HHS reached a number of really visible settlements, either with state departments of health or with hospital systems that really pushed back on, didn't entirely reverse those policies, but really pushed back on those policies, both with respect to family members, but importantly also with respect to clergy. And so one thing that HHS was particularly focused on at the beginning was denying access to clergy to people who were sick with COVID. And, you know, I think more more broadly, areas of focus that we're going to see are sexual assault, We've seen a couple of cases. Uh, The most prominent of those was the Michigan State case that arose out of the sort of Dr. Larry Nasser allegations. And you're going to see more focus on language access. And if you look over the history of HHS, there have been a number of settlements that have focused on the responsibility of hospitals in particular to make provisions to provide effective language assistance for limited English-proficient persons. And and that extends, by the way, beyond hospitals to nursing homes and other kinds of institutional healthcare environments. Also, Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act defines in the Biden administration, there's been some legal back and forth about this, but it defines discrimination based on sex fairly broadly. To incorporate actually discrimination based on both sexual orientation and gender identity. And there's some recent Supreme Court case law that supports that. And so one thing that I think we're going to be seeing in this new administration is enforcement in various scenarios that could be characterized as discrimination based on either sexual orientation and gender identity including issues, for example, about whether institutions provide gender reassignment surgery, but also other kinds of scenarios as well.
0: And just given your background, you know, being the director of of OCR for several years, what is its normal process in conducting an investigation? Does it depend on on whistleblowers or complaints, or is it actively sort of going out and, and you know, for lack of a better term, sort of beating the bushes looking for cases to take?
1: Yeah, predominantly its enforcement program is complaint-based, so generally, it, it'll generally be patients uh, who call in complaining that they were subject to discrimination in some way, but it also can be advocacy organizations that advocate on on behalf of particular communities. In most of these cases, actually never even become investigations. They're actually declined upon receipt. But if HHS sees a a scenario that fits within its authorities, uh, particularly one where HHS feels like it it can make a real impact on an issue of concern, uh, then it will initiate an investigation If, in fact, it finds that a violation occurred, it may either try to resolve the issue non-publicly through what's called a letter of correction, in which it will seek to reach an understanding with the the covered organization as to what adjustments that organization will, will make in order to come into what HHS deems Compliance, or it may take enforcement action before an administrative law judge and ultimately seek to remove federal funding from that entity. And one of the things to keep in mind, because this also can happen to individual physicians, is that if you lose Medicare, Medicaid certification, the next consequence is that you will also lose private insurance certification. So again, it's important to, to play ball. With HHS uh, in the event that an organization becomes a subject of an investigation, but that's basically the course they take. Sometimes HHS will or OCR uh, will undertake initiatives focusing on a particular issue. And then will conduct uh, self initiated investigations or self initiated uh, compliance reviews at a number of organizations within some definition that it chooses. So the example that I can give is during my tenure there. We did a 50-state critical access hospital language access review, which meant we more or less randomly selected 50 critical access hospitals, one in each state, and did a review as to whether they were, in fact, in compliance with the Title VI of Civil Rights Act of 1964 with respect to language access. Uh, And then in turn, we made recommendations to a number of the hospitals as to ways in which they can improve their language access uh, program. So that's an example of a more self-initiated investigative uh, agenda that they may have.
0: Thanks. So if we sort of boiled all the things that you've told us today down into a couple of takeaways for healthcare providers, things that they should do now that they know what civil rights are, know what patient rights are, now they want to be prepared so they don't get investigated by ACR, so they don't generate a patient complaint. What are a couple of takeaways that you could identify that all providers ought to be keeping an eye on?
1: I think providers need to look at a, a series of issues that are you know, well-identified in uh, literature that's distributed by the Office for Civil Rights and, and to make sure that they have actually made a determination as to what they're going to do about each of those issues. So let's start with language access. Each and every healthcare institution needs to go through a process of determining what its language support needs are, what its reasonable capabilities to meet those needs are, and and then to take action based on those assessments. Sexual assault, another big area, particularly in light of the Michigan State case. Institutions need to have a program. It could potentially include something like a chaperoning policy. That's something that's been uh, that was part of the Michigan State Resolution, but they need to evaluate what steps they take to prevent sexual harassment and sexual assault patients because that is now being viewed as a federal civil rights issue. When organizations close facilities, a hospital, a lab, where there is some threat that that either will remove or could be seen as removing a critical care resource from a protected community that needs to be evaluated from a civil rights context and decisions made as to whether mitigating action needs to be taken by the organization in light of the closure of a particular facility. So those are some examples of the kinds of things that organizations need to consider in order to be seen as, uh, be deemed compliant with the civil rights laws affecting healthcare.
0: We'd like to thank Leon Rodriguez for his time today and sharing all of his knowledge and experience with us. Thank you for joining us today for another edition of CIFARTH's Healthcare Beat Podcast, bringing you the latest developments and pressing issues in healthcare. So you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to visit cifarth.com where you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We look forward to having you with us again soon.